This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I'm solid to the crack, never change me and my son of rain. It gets wet when we hang. I'm solid, could touch the blue part of the flame. The blue part of the flame. And nothing else. I just Welcome to Sportfire, the sports comedy podcast that tried to come up with a slick sign-off using our longtime catchphrase, hello friends, but instead accidentally spit out, go to hell, friendo. I'm your host, Adam Weiner, but you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, in Jim Calhoun's man cave smelling of aqua velva and nodding at a framed photo, and giving the too small gesture to my mailman when he blocks the entryway. Big show today, ESPN legend Mike Greenberg stopped by to discuss his new book, Got Your Number. But first, let's take a quick trip through the headlines. Sure, the UConn Huskies bludgeoned Miami in the Final Four and San Diego State in the National Championship game, but what happens when they have to play a close game? Definitely a legitimate criticism to ponder. Dan Hurley cemented himself as college basketball royalty by leading the Huskies to a 17-point victory over SDSU. Another excellent performance against a Ken Palm top 20 defense to polish off one of the most lopsided tournament runs in March Madness history. After the game, his dad, Bob Hurley, generously allowed him to run 98 laps instead of 100. FAU's Cinderella run ended in the Final Four when San Diego State's Lamont Butler's buzzer beater hit nylon. After the loss, Governor Ron DeSantis said he did not support the team's extradition. Despite the heartbreaking loss, it was definitely difficult for Florida's fans to criticize their team. Because of the Don't Say Gay bill. The women's final was won by LSU and Kim Mulkey, who isn't quite a Cinderella, more like one of her evil stepsisters. In the aftermath, LSU star Angel Reese has been criticized for taunting Iowa's Caitlin Clark in the final seconds, but Reese was just imitating taunts Clark had already done. Hey, don't talk trash if you can't back it up, then back it up, then back it up, then back it up, then back it up one more time in the finals. True hubris from Caitlin Clark. Plus, Clark was just borrowing the You Can't See Me taunt from John Cena. Very classless of John Cena to be cool in 1997. You Can't See Me is kind of entry level, though. Talk to me when Angel Reese is reciting every line from Blockers. Bottom line, I don't want to make any judgment here until Ryan Rosillo weighs in. 
Need his expert opinion. Clark and Reese, as well as UConn star Paige Beckers, will all be returning to college next season with hype for the game at an all-time high. They're all coming back? Oh, that is... <laughs> that is so awesome, said the WNBA. <laughs> Yay! I'm so happy for my friends. Also, side note, calling Clark the female Steph Curry has only made it clear that it's pretty cool we accept Steph Curry is a man's name. First Lady Jill Biden has come under fire, though, for asking both Clark's Iowa team and the champion LSU Tigers to come to the White House together. More like the white privilege house. Come on, Jill. We both know you're just trying to establish precedent to somehow get the Super Bowl losing Eagles to the White House, too. Shannon Sharp claimed this very well could change the 2024 election, and it's true. Caucasian swing voters in the Midwest could be conflicted, disagreeing with the participation trophy angle while approving of Biden being extra nice to a Caitlin. Kansas freshman Grady Dick has declared for the NBA draft. Wow, at my school, the only thing Dick freshman ever declared was who their dad was. Congressman George Santos has been heavily criticized for his goofy opening day video wearing a Mets jersey, but while you may laugh, he actually played first base for the Mets from 84 to 92. Not much of a stick, but a gold glover a couple times. Actually underrated. And Danny Amendola just reunited with Josh McDaniels and joined the Raiders coaching staff. Meanwhile, Tom Brady has decided to come out of Remax. He was looking at Realty, and now he's not. But seriously, there is a pretty good chance Brady decides to join the race for the White House in 2024. He might just have the juice if Trump's going to jail. Nah, he's unretiring. And now ESPN's Mike Greenberg on iconic numbers, Aaron Rodgers' darkness retreat, and sneaky Lamar Jackson destinations. Seriously, how is, how is that not done yet? Here with the legendary Mike Greenberg, and we're here because, uh, well, we want to talk sports, but also... The book Got Your Number is dropping, and we're here to talk uh, numerology specifically as well as a few uh, of the latest uh, bits of sports news. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's nice to be with you. Uh, the uh, the New York Yankees, uh, my personal favorite team, uh, dominate the early portion of this book significantly uh, because I don't know if there's a more famous team in terms of you know using up all the single digits than the New York Yankees. And Derek Jeter shows up first. He grabs number two, and he's your all-time number two. Uh, at what point did he clinch that honor for you? Well, so it's very, very, very hard for me to say because by the time we had the idea to do the book, his career was over, and we were able to sort of view it in its totality. Um, you know, Derek Jeter is in the book. Let me, let me, let's go backwards quickly. Let me explain exactly how people get in the book. So. <laughs> There was a day when a bunch of us on the GetUp staff were sitting around and we were having a conversation like the bunch of sports geeks that we are and about how interesting it was, how many Hall of Fame quarterbacks all wore the jersey number 12. Bradshaw, Staubach, Stabler, Greasy, uh, Namath, and, and Jim Kelly, and, and then soon to be Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. And someone in the room said, yeah, Greeny, they all wore the number 12, but who owns the number 12? And that's when the light bulb went off over my head. And I've always wanted to do a sports book, but I never had what I thought was a good enough idea. This seemed like a good enough idea. So with outstanding research from my right-hand man, whose name is Hembo, 
Um, we chose the 100 athletes, or in some cases, teams or coaches or stars that own each of the numbers. Who owns number one, number two, number three, number four? So that's the context of what you're asking me. Jeter, I guess the only way I can think of to answer your question is that he was an easy choice for number two. Um, now Derek Jeter defined baseball for a generation. Um, there, there are almost every sport is generally defined by a player or a team or both generation to generation. The, the, the disproportionate number of those players in baseball history would be Yankees. Um, but if, if you go back, certainly Babe Ruth defined baseball in the 20s. And Joe Dima for me anyway, DiMaggio in the 30s and the 40s and Mickey Mantle in the 50s and the 60s. And, and then along came Jeter in the 90s and the 2000s. And even as the Yankees, even after they stopped winning World Series year after year, he continued to be the face of the sport. And one of the points that is made in the book is that, uh, let me actually read it directly so I make sure I get it verbatim right. Um, it's right near the beginning, so it's easy to find. Um, he was the face of that. Uh, let me find it for you here. As of this writing, so when we wrote this book, which was uh, early last year, so 2022, Derek Jeter remains the most popular player in baseball, according to the ESPN Fan and Media Intelligence Group, six years after he played his final game. So when we poll people, when we at ESPN put together our data and we're trying to find out, well, what players are resonating and what teams are resonating and who do the fans like? Six years after he finished playing, Jeter remains the number one answer to who is your favorite baseball player. That's remarkable. So I don't know that I can tell you exactly when he clinched it, but I can tell you that he was as easy a choice as practically any other number was. I also feel like I'd be remiss. You mentioned Babe Ruth sort of being the first Yankee to own the sport. In the book, you call him the originator of swag. Uh, and I just yeah. don't want to trip past that without mentioning how uh, refreshing it was to hear that. Well, so so um, because you're, fine, you're, you're, you're referencing all these ones at the very beginning, um, it's easy for me to find them. I think that's <laughs> right. Like, like Babe Ruth played in a sport that is legendary for – even to this day, I mean, people, they don't want you to bat flip. They don't want you to pimp home runs. They don't want you to celebrate. And Babe Ruth was a showman. Babe Ruth was uh, famously self-aggrandizing. Um, you know, when I tell the story at the beginning of the book of how he made more money than the president. And when they asked him that, he said, why not? I had a better year than he did, which was inarguably true. Babe Ruth also, um, to, to make this point in the book, um, he endorsed underwear, candy, sporting goods, Wheaties, shaving cream, razor blades, and chewing tobacco, toured in a vaudeville act. The ballpark in which he played most of his career was commonly known as the house that Ruth built. And when the Japanese troops were charging U.S. soldiers in World War II, they were yelling to hell with Babe Ruth. He was the most famous American. He, he, he was more famous. He was more identifiable with America to, the, to our enemies than the president was. So um, that's who Babe Ruth was. And, and so he was the first larger than life American sports superstar. And, you know, that's not to say that there would have been no Muhammad Ali and there would have been no Michael Jordan and there would have been no, you know, insert legend here or there. Someone would eventually have been the first one. But he was. And uh, he was another easy one. In fact, 
we joke sometimes, Hembo and I, we didn't have to spend any time discussing 3, 23, 42, or 99. Those, those were the four that we knew before we even started. Huge upset uh, for Aaron Judge on number 99, but I think I understand uh, where you're coming from. Um, I will say this about Judge. You write a book and then you have to turn it in. What you do to what's called putting it to bed. The two athletes that I, if we had more time, just this is not making an excuse. It's just the reality of the situation. We handed this book in way before Judge's season finished last year. And in fact, I make a reference at some point, every every statistic and record in this book is is relevant as of such and such date, mm-hmm. because there were active athletes in the book. Steph Curry's in the book. Kevin Durant is in the book. A few others. Um, so uh, if if we were writing the book today, I would have found a number for judge, probably 62. Um, it wouldn't have been 99, uh, but I probably would have given him 62. Um, and then the other one I would, would have had in the book for sure is Patrick Mahomes. I, I think Mahomes in this one year uh, solidified his place as, as a legitimate all-time great. I think it certainly felt like it was trending that way. But a year ago today, which is right around the time that we handed the book in, um, that would have felt premature to me. Um, it wouldn't now. So if, if we were to, if, if, if they gave us two mulligans, if, 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 if the timing were such that we could, you know, literally write the book and then just press send the next day, I would have Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Judge in it. Yeah, it, it definitely reads as a living diary in, in parts, especially the Steph Curry chapter you mentioned where you're sort of like, hey, he's carving out a new finals legacy as we speak. You know, I'm, I'm figuring out the best way to handle this. Yeah, we did that last. We, we waited to see if, if he would win, which of course he did. I believe that was the last chapter that we wrote because we were waiting. So that's when we handed it in. So, okay. So what was that June? So, so that's when we finished the book. So before the NFL season had started and long before we knew that judge was going to hit 62 home runs. So there was no, they were like holding it for me. I was like, I got to wait on Curry. I got to wait on Curry. I got to wait on Curry. So um, they, they were, they, they, they were ready for me. And I, and I was just sort of holding them at bay. So that is exactly, now that you say that, you remind me, that's exactly when we handed it in. It was June of 22. Was number 12 the toughest numerical decision in the book when push came to shove? Or or was there another number where you really went down to the wire? Or were you able to make the decisions relatively easily? Because like you say in the book too, it all does come down to you. Well, 12 was not actually that hard. I mean, like 12, there are a lot of great players, but there's no way not to give it to Brady. Yeah. Um, You know, so many great quarterbacks, including my personal favorite player that ever lived in any sport is Joe Namath. Um, but uh, I can't sit here and make an argument that, that Joe Namath is a greater player or, or his magnitude is greater historically than Tom Brady. Brady is the most accomplished football player that ever lived. So that number was easy. Some of the numbers that were really hard, I'll give you 21. Have you read all the way through it? Do you know who we chose for 21? Mm-hmm. Okay, so then this isn't going to be as much fun for you. But for anyone listening to this conversation, I'll ask you to think about this. 21 is Tim Duncan. 21 is Deion Sanders. 21 is Roberto Clemente. That was a tough, agonizing decision. And I know that some people will disagree with the choice that we made, and that's fine. I, I'm, I'm, so that's why, here's what I'll say about the book. The book is equal parts 
sports debate and sports history, which is to say that there are a lot of tough decisions to be made. I made them. You will agree with some and disagree with others. Hopefully, if you and your friends read the book, you guys can then debate where you think we got it right and where we got it wrong, and you'll start disagreeing with each other. And that is great fun. And so there's the debate piece. But then there's also the sports history piece, which I actually enjoy the most. When I was growing up, I loved reading sports history. And there is not as much of that, I think, as there was when I was young. So if you read the book, whether you agree or disagree with the choices that we made, um, I absolutely promise, I guarantee that you will at least 100 times in the book, meaning at least once per chapter, you will say, wow, I didn't know that. I promise. And so there's the history part of the book. So that's what it is. It's those two combined. So uh, the, the debate piece of it, 21 was a brutal number. Four was a brutal number. Four is Brett Favre. It's Bob, Bobby Orr. And it's Lou Gehrig. And that was a heart-wrenching decision to have to make amongst those three. Actually, I mean, Favre is an all-time great, but he was sort of easy to put to the side. He was a definitive third in that group. And but choosing between Orr and Gehrig was incredibly tough. So that's what, um, th those were the really hard numbers. There were a few others that were hard too. I'm, I'm just looking over the list here, trying to remember some of the others that we kind of agonized over. Th those are the two that always jump at me. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic, but today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries, and with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, all made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And I will not spoil 21 either for uh, for the listeners and the viewers. You got to get the book yourself. But yes, that is uh, that stands out as a tough one, too. Um in the, you know, to follow up on both Favre and Namath um, and switching gears a little bit, 
uh, Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets are remain in the news. Who knows how long this, uh, you know, protracted trade conversation will go. Um, but he has declared his intentions. Uh, how confident are you that the deal ultimately gets done? And how confident would you be maybe if you didn't have the baggage of lifelong Jets fandom? I actually am confident that the deal eventually gets done. My only concern is in the timing. So I believe despite my own natural pessimism <clears throat> that it will get done and it will get done before the draft. And then there will have been no harm done. So that'll be fine. Once we get past the draft, the Packers then are in no rush. If, if we get past the draft and the deal has not been done, then the Packers, there is no benefit to them to doing it more quickly. They don't have to pay Favre the, the, the $58 million that he's guaranteed until the first day of the season. Um, and they actually have some salary cap benefits in holding off on it until June. At that point, it would start to worry me because I, I, I do start to wonder when we start reaching a point where it, it impacts his ability to be great this year. I mean, this is a one-year thing. To, to approach this as though we're going to have Rodgers for more than a year, I think is a mistake because um, and this is a guy who just said in his most recent interview, he was 90% retired when he went into the dark room. So I think uh, to, to sort of hear counting on any more than one year from him would be a big mistake. So you got to maximize the one year that you get. So, so long as it happens before the draft, everything is fine. If it doesn't, and it starts, you know, working its way towards training camp, then I think it does start compromising his ability to be great. And that's when it starts to become a real problem. I don't expect that to happen, but uh, if it does, that could be really bad. I apologize for laughing. I laugh every time the darkness retreat is mentioned. So to hear it uh, in a completely normal context-free sentence, I was just like, oh, right. Yeah, he, he did go in a darkness retreat. I love it. I mean, to be completely honest with you, I'm intrigued by it. Um, it's it's his, the stuff that he's into, not all of the stuff, I'm, I, don't, I don't, I've never used ayahuasca or considered it in my life. I have no interest in the Panchakarma cleanse, which actually just scares me to death when I read about it. And there are any number of other things that he is into that I'm not. But I will say that I am also one who believes in meditation and mindfulness and things like that, which are, I don't find them weird at all. I think they're very normal, um, uh, beneficial practices. Mm -hmm. And the darkness is just um, sort of that to the nth degree. You know, the truth of the matter is, and I don't know that I could handle it for as long as he did it, but I am intrigued. The reality is that our brains are so stimulated all the time in ways that they really were not designed to be. Um, they're designed, brains are, your brain is designed to be shut off and, and legitimately resting sometimes. And we, we just generally almost never do that anymore. There is almost never a time when we are not, our, at least one of our senses is not being activated. And to actually shut off all light and practically all sound for a day, two days, three days, I think would actually be very healthy for your brain. Now, is it weird? Yeah, of course it's weird. It's weird because it's not something that practically anyone would do, but I actually don't think it's a bad idea. So, um, you know, Rogers is, is, is a different breed of cat, right? He's an unusual guy and that's fine. I don't, you know, not everything about it. I love the way he handled his, um, 
you know, with a blatantly dishonest way, I thought that he handled the, the whole thing about his um, vaccination status last year. I, you know, like most people that whatever your your um, position was on vaccine mandates, I, I, I can't imagine anyone thinks that lying about it was the right way to do it, um, purposely misleading people. Um, but look, at the end of the day, I'm not inviting him to dinner. I'm, he's coming to be the, the quarterback of my football team. And he gives us the best chance to win that we, assuming he shows up and is good, the best chance to win that we've had in my lifetime. So I am all in. What do you think the ceiling is? You know, if you're envisioning it as a one-year thing, what leaves you, you know, are you satisfied with anything short of a Super Bowl after the year is up? I mean, I guess no. I mean, you know, like like the ceiling, as Michael Jordan once famously said, is the roof. Um, do I think that they have a real chance? I actually do. Um, the AFC is so loaded. It was like a murderer's row of quarterbacks. So to project any team in that conference, be it Kansas City, Cincinnati, Buffalo, Miami, the Jets, the Chargers, the Jaguars, to sit here and say any one of them is, is a prohibitive favorite, I think is just wrong because I think they have a chance to all be really good. And the quarterbacks have a chance to all be really good. And I think Denver will be much better with Sean Payton. I think Cleveland will be much better with Deshaun. I think New England will be much better now that they have an offensive coordinator. So there are a lot of real, and who knows where <clears throat> Lamar Jackson is going to wind up. So there, there are the, the, the AFC is just freaking loaded. Um, but I would put the Jets right there with basically anyone um, if Rodgers is there and playing reasonably well. Um, I don't see any reason why they can't, why they don't have a legitimate shot at accomplishing everything. And, and I do think anything short of that could be painted as a disappointment. And you touched on my, you know, my final NFL question. Uh, Lamar also sort of floating in the ether right now. Um, I saw you float the Patriots as a potential destination the other day. Um, do you feel like that is a realistic one? And and if not, uh, you know, what 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 are the the destinations that you're really targeting while we sort of watch everybody stand on the sidelines for now? I, I think it is reasonably realistic. So I to be clear, uh, it was Rob Ninkovich who really brought it up. I sort of took the ball and ran with it, but it was it was he, the former Patriot, who put that thought in my head. Because I'm thinking if you're the Ravens and you're going to trade Lamar Jackson, what do you want in return? One of the things you would then not have is a quarterback. And I, you know, so maybe you'd be interested in Mac Jones. If, if the Patriots were to get Lamar Jackson, they would clearly have to jettison Mac Jones. No two player skill sets could possibly be less similar. So um, Mac Jones as Lamar's backup wouldn't make any sense to me. So, um, uh, it seems to me Mac Jones and the 14th pick in the draft, uh, which is where the Patriots pick in round one, that, that that's sort of an intriguing possibility as compensation. Um, one of our insiders today, Jeremy Fowler, said he didn't think that was enough for the Ravens. Maybe not. Maybe you throw in a three or something like that, um, a conditional pick into the future. Um, but that seems like one that makes sense. And I think the idea of Belichick and, and that coaching staff and, and frankly, the team that they have, they're a really good running game with Ramondre Stevenson, and they always have a good offensive line, it feels like, and they've got two good tight ends and Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki. That I could see that being a really interesting possible destination. 
Um, look, there were almost no teams in the NFL that Lamar Jackson wouldn't make markedly better. I don't think that has anything to do with why the situation is where it is. I think it is all about the, the league's owners holding fast on their desire never to guarantee contracts. <clears throat> but he would make almost, look, I mean, unless you're Kansas City or, I don't know, maybe Philadelphia, you know, Cincinnati. I mean, how many teams out there wouldn't be better for having Joe, excuse me, for having um, Lamar Jackson as their quarterback? So um, there's there's not too many places that wouldn't make at least some sense. Mike Greenberg, I really appreciate your time with us. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, the book, of course, is Got Your Number. Um, and would you ever consider doing a follow-up book on the worst player to ever wear each number? I feel like that's probably the logical next step. Uh, you know, no, that's an interesting one. Um, the one thing that I, I wanted to get into the book, and it just got too long, was for each number to give a list of some of the other intriguing options. Um, you know, so people could, and, and, and this way, when you read it, you have to kind of think to yourself, who didn't we use? Because, uh, they're not all that obvious. Um, and it just, it just would, the book is long enough as it is. It, it just would have gotten to be too much, but, um, that is a book I could see doing someday or some sort of corollary where we put in some of the alternative options, but your way I kind of like better. Um, I hadn't thought of that, but maybe I'll pitch that and see if anything, see if we get any bites. It's, it's yours if you want it. Um, the, the disrespectful version of this book. Mike, uh, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Well, thank you for having me. It was fun. Mike Greenberg, everybody. The real Mike Greenberg, not one of my friends. Doing a Greenberg impression. The book, again, is Got Your Number. And many thanks as well to Hembo for the statistical contributions, which are plentiful in the book. Mike, my door is always open for Got Your Number 2, Disgraced Your Number. And now, my final flame. I'm coming to you this week on a natural high, or perhaps it's the ganja, thanks to my once-in-a-lifetime experience on Saturday night of seeing Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, live from the middle-aged reporter section at Madison Square Garden. All the middle-aged reporters in the tri-state area were there, besides Jim Nance, in a roped-off section away from the commoners plus one overflow section on the second level for the bloggers and an additional overflow section in the upper deck for middle-aged reporters from Pennsylvania. And oh, did Bruce play the deep cuts. From Jungle Land to Candy's Room, the show was a middle-aged reporter's dream, dominating an extremely specific sect of Twitter. You know, the place where nobody agrees with Elon Musk, but everybody paid for Twitter Blue anyway just because they kind of figured they needed it and the check mark was cool? Oh, the stories we swapped. So many tales of late deadlines, mangled bylines, and wayward commas. At one point during the second half of the show, three ink-stained wretches from the Daily News stained their hands with ink, then tried to shake the hands of three veteran New York Post scribes. Ink prank! We had some laughs, we shed some tears, and most importantly, we grumbled about editorial decisions. Can you believe the op-ed pages have gotten so woke? We're not even sure what that means, but we heard the Pennsylvania section saying it, so it's gotta be true. As the night was ending, Springsteen introduced each member of the E Street Band by name, then took a 35-minute break in the show to introduce each and every reporter in the audience to the rest of the crowd. 
I thought it was very kind of him to take the opportunity to acknowledge the real engine that keeps his music career running. Middle-aged reporters from the Bergen record who still buy CDs. Looking forward to the next show already. Unless I'm on deadline. A concern that's unique only to reporters. Only reporters have deadlines. That's an inside reporter joke. Bruce! Okay, enough of that. I'm on deadline. My thanks to ESPN's Mike Greenberg. Again, the bookies got your number, and we'll see you in two Thursdays. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.